so often um, our lives are filled with things that keep us busy, but they don't really mean much. I mean, I get it, right? We, uh, we're fill, our lives are filled with things that, that seem to matter in the moment. Or maybe they don't. Either way, there's an app for that. Uh, so say someone's inviting you, like the invitation I got the other day. Hey, can you come help us move on Friday? Oh. I've, certainly I've got something. Well, in this new app called I Got This Thing, all you have to do is click a button, and I know you can't see this very well, but there's two different calendars. There's one on the left that's blank, and there's one on the left that has endless amounts of things over here. All you got to do is hit get busy, and it'll fill your calendar with stuff going on in the area. You even have options as to how busy you really want to be. There's like a little busy, there's a lot busy, and then what was I thinking busy? This idea came about when uh, Nat Towson, who's a comedian, went to this convention where they were trying to create some new content and trying to create uh, this idea that they could do something different. And he said, this app has real potential as an event aggregation and discovery tool. It can make it easy for people to find things to do without having to do a whole, without having to do very much. He said, companies could also pay uh, GTT to promote conferences, concerts, and other get-togethers. But, Towson says half-jokingly, all that's secondary because our real purpose is for people who really want to avoid doing things. You can get as busy as you want so that you can avoid doing the things that really matter. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes that app sounds really nice. It sounds nice to be able to avoid doing the things that I don't want to do, to be able to give me time to do the things that I'm not sure that really matter much, but it's what I want to do in the moment. Anybody else find yourselves in those moments at times? Ralph Turnbull said, there's a danger of doing too much as well as of doing too little. Life is not for work, but work is for life. And when it is carried to the extent of undermining life or unduly absorbing it, work is not praiseworthy, but blameworthy. In our passage today, it's almost like Jesus, it's almost like those who have the first and easiest chance at being at the feet of Jesus, at learning at the feet of Jesus, at spending time with the Messiah, are able to come up with any excuse that they can not to follow him. And the problem is, this isn't as... I might have once heard it just about those who are choosing to follow Jesus the first time. This is about, man, I hate these mics. Um, This is about 
the, those moments that we all have every day, the, the day in, day out, everything that we do choosing to follow Jesus. Because in the context of this passage, these are people who have already been going with Jesus. They're already on the journey. This is the 12. This is the 120. This is the crowd that's been following him. And he's at dinner with them, and he tells them this story. And he says, there are those of you who are going to have to make a choice. And it's almost like when he tells them they're going to have to make a choice, they hit the get busy button. And they miss out on the opportunity to actually be with the Messiah, the Savior of the universe. Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. But still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the master, the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be, at, will be full. I tell you, not one of the, those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's a difficult passage because the reality is buying five yoke of oxen and making sure that they're trained and ready to go, getting married. And at that time, getting married meant that you would uh, propose, you would go through the marriage ceremony. Then your wife would be left with her parents. You would go off to build a room, a house, if you will, onto the back of your father's house. And it would take some time in order for you to finish that, and then you would go back and get your wife and bring her back. These are serious things that people had to do. They're serious, well-worthy excuses that they came up with about whether or not they would come to the master's banquet that he had prepared. But what Jesus says is that the things that were most important they had allowed to be relegated to the back burner. Gordon McDonald said, there's three things in my life that I need most, but they never scream for immediate attention. That's God, my family, and my mind. An article in Quartz says, in an, area, in an era of limitless technology and information, life can feel at once empowering, and overwhelming, especially in jobs where employees feel pressure to be swamped. But how busy are we really, the article goes on to say. And so they went and wanted to know the answer, and they surveyed over 10,000 adults 
in 28 different countries. The bottom line was stunning. People feel compelled to lie about how busy they really are. When the respondents were asked the question, I sometimes pretend, when, re- when respondents were asked the question, they answered, I sometimes pretend to be busier than I really am. Over 51% of millennials answered yes. And when asked that question about other people, between 57 to 65% of those surveyed think that other people pretend to be busier than they actually are. The conclusion the researchers came up with is very revealing for how we live our lives. They said our tendency to lie about how busy we are comes from our belief that being busy is equivalent to leading a life of significance and not wanting to be relegated to the sidelines. Being available has become a thing of the past. Being available, having margins in our lives is not something that we as Americans are accustomed to. And in fact, when we think we have, when we think we have a margin, we immediately fill our lives and fill that time with something so that we're really not available for anything. And so when the call comes to help someone who is in need, we don't have any space for it. Or if we do have space for it, we feel it was something meaningless instead of doing the meaningful thing and serving those who are in need. It's almost as though we've missed the point of life. We've made life about the end goal. We've made it about getting to heaven. And while that is a goal, I'm not sure that that's what Jesus calls us to. Because that leaves the goal out ahead of us, and it leaves it as something that we're ever chasing, and it's not really attainable. It makes decisions that I make right now, and the things that I do right now, less important. But if we hear the words of Jesus in this passage, I don't think that that's what he's saying. That what we do right now is not as important as what we might do later. Because if we think heaven is something that we only get to someday, somehow, somewhere, then we can get there sometime later, somehow, some way. My friend Matt Dabbs suggests that the goal of human life is not simply to get to heaven. It's a little closer than that. He says... The goal of human life is to become like Jesus. And he says that that can't happen without the Holy Spirit being present in our lives. You look at what Jesus was doing and how he lived, it was the power of the Spirit at work within him. That's not something that's unattainable, that's something that we have as his church now. We have the power of the Spirit at work within us now. And if we are going to become like Jesus, yes, that's something that ultimately, finally finishes, comes to completion when God's reign comes completely. But it's also something that's happening now, which means that we are not just aiming for heaven someday, but the reign of God 
is the Spirit of God at work within us right now in the present moment, transforming us, changing us, working on us, and making us more like Jesus right now. Following Jesus cannot be something that simply happens by chance or after we get things cleaned up and aligned like we want them. So yes, Chad, I want you here now. Why? Because I believe the Spirit's working in you now. I believe the Spirit's working in all of us now, even if we don't recognize it. It's like we hear the saying from people, I'll go to church when when I get things straightened out in my life. It's like saying, well, I've got all this debt, and I'll start working on paying that off when I pay something off. Like, what? How, that doesn't make any sense. You're right, it doesn't. It, but it's not just about coming to church, but we have this mindset that, that all of a sudden, magically, God's going to work in a way that just miraculously fixes everything that's wrong in our life. The problem is, I don't see that happening in anybody's life that I know. Do you? And so if we believe that God is calling us to become more like Jesus, and not only does he call us to do that, but he helps us to do it. He sends the Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us, to move us, to to convict us, to change us, to transform us. Then that's something that happens now. But it's also something that happens intentionally by each and every one of us, by going to the Spirit, by seeking the Spirit intentionally in what we do. When we're trying to learn how to be a better teacher or a better farmer or a better leader or a welder, electrician or doctor or name your profession, we don't sit at home and hope that it just magically happens or that we just become better at it by hoping that we're going to get better at it. Most of the time, what we do is if we want to become better at something, we go to the people who are good at those things already. If I want to become a master electrician, I can't just become a master electrician. I have to be an apprentice first. I have to go learn from a master electrician who has already been through the training, who has been through the schooling, has been certified, and knows what he's doing. I'm not going to learn that by sitting at home and looking at some schematic, because if I look at an electrical schematic of a house, I'm stumped. I got nothing. And you don't want me working on your house by looking at some schematic that the architect drew up. We won't... (laughs) Good luck turning the light on. It's just not going to work. So why would we not put those who have walked with the Spirit in ways that we want to get better at, in ways that we want to learn about, why would we not want to put ourselves in proximity to those people? Why would we not want to learn from them? Why would we not want to walk with them, to ask questions, to learn from them, to watch how they navigate and maneuver through life with the Spirit at work in them and see what walking with Jesus looks like for those who have done it before us. 
I'm not saying that we're going to do it exactly like them. If I went to my brother-in-law, who is a master electrician, and watched him do it, it doesn't mean I'm going to do everything exactly the way he does. But man, I'm going to learn a lot from him by spending time with him. And we take what we learn in those places, in those moments, and we see how they might apply or how we might tweak them for our own lives. And we adapt where necessary. We leave others work, other things that they're doing that may not work for us alone. Or it may be that something that they're doing that doesn't work for us, maybe we need to create space for that to allow it to work in our lives. And consider that we need to build up something else to grow that muscle so that we become better at that thing that they're good at that we're not. We do this in every other part of our lives, but it's almost as though we walk into church and think that we're automatically going to become like Jesus without practicing what, it, what, what Jesus practiced without doing what Jesus did, and without walking with others who are also walking with Jesus, and rubbing shoulders together and seeing what we can learn from each other. The value of the church is not coming in here so that we can feel better about ourselves. I mean, it is so that we can feel better about ourselves, but it's because I'm not alone. Thanks, Chad, for reminding me that I'm not the only broken one. But at the same time, it's also to remind ourselves that we are walking together with Christ, with the Spirit, at work in our lives, and we are all working that out. We are all trying to become more like Jesus. And I want to know how God is at work in your life and how that's playing out as you maneuver through the difficulties of life. Because I can't do that alone. And there's often times where I'm walking through life and I have no clue what to do. And I call up my buddies. I call up my friends that I trust. The ones who I know the Spirit is at work in. And I say, how do you do this? Have you ever had a time where this happened? These aren't things so that we can get to heaven. These aren't things that we do so that we can one day maybe get to heaven. They're things that we do because heaven is already inside of us. Jesus came down to bring heaven, the reign of God, to earth. To establish God's kingdom here. And he said, not only did I come to establish it, but I'm bringing heaven to you. It's going to live right inside of you. The reign of God is going to live in you. Heaven's not something we attain someday, somewhere. If you have accepted Jesus and you have been baptized and received the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you, you have heaven in you now. Come on, somebody say amen. We have the reign of God with the Spirit at work in us now. The reign of God is shaping us and forming us into the likeness of Jesus. But I'm not saying that's easy. That's difficult. It's hard. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in the next verses that we are going to have to examine daily, moment by moment, what it's going to cost to continue to follow him. 
And this isn't just about what it's going to take if we are uh, uh, trying to decide whether we're going to follow him. This is something we have to do day by day, moment by moment. Here's what he says. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, and yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay down the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it is going to ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with the 10,000 men opposed to be able to oppose the one coming with him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. May the Lord bless the painful hearing of his word. Reading this passage, if you're paying any attention, ought to make you go, whoa, really? Because what he suggests is if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If you take off on the walk following Jesus and don't actually consider what it's going to take day in and day out, moment by moment, morning by morning, there's something that you can lose. This cannot be a half-hearted commitment. It's not a Sunday-only commitment. It's not just a call to consider what you're getting to, but what you chose at your baptism. Not long ago, there was a secret meeting in Kenya with many others who had been ministering in, in the Islamic countries around that area. And they were sharing what God was doing and how God was at work in those Islamic countries and how the, the, the Spirit was working on these people and they were choosing Jesus and how the Spirit of God was causing lives to be changed in radical ways in countries where Christianity is not welcome. A man who they called Pastor H, and that's all they say because they didn't want to reveal his identity, was asked to give about a 15-minute testimony at this secret meeting. And he was ministering in Iran. Well, after about 15 minutes and another hour and 45, he sat down because he gave detailed descriptions about what was happening in a place like Iran where it was illegal to be Christian. 
People were tugging at his sleeve saying, don't tell them all those details. You're going to get in trouble. Don't, don't, don't do that. You, you're you're going to get caught. He said, I'm tired of living in the dark. I want it to be brought out into the light, and I want it to be known what the Spirit of God is doing in these places. The person who witnesses a missionary in Mogadishu heard that the pastor who spoke so boldly about their work in Iran had disappeared about two weeks after this secret meeting. They feared he was arrested, but they didn't know exactly where Pastor H went. A couple of weeks later, a historic event took place at a church in Iran. Approximately 38 women and men from a Muslim background were ready for a believer's baptism. I'm reading this quote because I want you to hear exactly what they were choosing at their baptism. They said the church was packed as much as security would allow. With these new believers lined up from the altar, down the aisle, and all the way to the rear of the church. You see, within, within Islamic settings, Muslims equate baptism with salvation. Seekers from Islam began investigating a relationship with Jesus, and they can uh, investigate a relationship with Jesus, can explain away many of their activities. Like, if they're discovering, discovered reading the Bible, they can claim they're studying it in order to debate Christians more intelligently. If they're seen sneaking into a church building, they can excuse such behavior in the same way. If they're seen talking to a pastor or some Western Christian, seekers can suggest that they were simply observed witnessing, lifting up the attributes of Islam. In other words, they can hide their seeking with all of those things. But they can't explain away their baptism. There is no acceptable excuse. Muslims believe that at a baptism, a person no longer belongs to Islam, but belongs to Christianity. They've left one community and joined another. The local community says that when converts are baptized, they have left Muhammad and joined with Jesus. At baptism, persecution soars because identification with Jesus is real, it's irrevocable, and it's forever. The last line of their article was, baptism is the point of no return. Following Jesus could absolutely cost you your life. It could lead to death. Probably not here. Probably not in your lifetime. But it's not just death that it may bring. Because the reality is, in some ways, it would be easier to die for Jesus than it is to intentionally, consciously allow the Spirit to lead us day in and day out and to live for Him. That's where the real counting the cost comes. For the Muslim converts in the story... Death as the cost of discipleship is a very real possibility. What they chose at their baptism, what they found out was as they were about to get into the waters of baptism, they found out that Pastor H 
had been martyred. There was some secret person following him, and they reported back to the leaders of the, of the Muslim authorities there in Iran, and they kidnapped him and killed him. Those who were being converted by the message of Jesus, those 38 men and women, found out before they gave themselves to Jesus in baptism that it very seriously, literally could cost them their lives. But for us, it may well be that what we have in relationship or possessions may be the cost of discipleship. I'm afraid that what Jesus is calling all of us to consider is what we are willing to do or not do to follow him. We should not overestimate, nor should we underestimate, the cost of discipleship. Because Luke wants his readers to know that Jesus provides no cheap grace. It is cheap neither from the divine perspective nor from the human one. What it has cost Jesus is his death on the cross was everything. And the response that enables us to receive that grace is likewise everything. Theophilus, to whom Luke was written, was to remember that it is not only the beginning of one's Christian life that is important, but how one perseveres. A half-hearted discipleship is doomed. Grace, then, fills us with the power to live like Jesus right now. It's not just something that's a one-off, but it is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. It means the Spirit may reveal things that we need to stop doing. It may mean that the Spirit reveals things... It may mean that the Spirit reveals to us things that we need to begin doing. But it's not about doing them to get to heaven. Heaven came to us. It's so that we can become like Jesus. My challenge for you today is this. If you want to grow in your life in Christ... Find someone who you believe is growing in a way that you want to grow and spend some time with them. Take them out to breakfast. Take them to lunch. Ask them how they do that thing. But don't just ask them about where they are now. Ask them about their journey, about how they got there. Because it's not just becoming like them in that moment. It's about walking the steps that they walked to get to where they got to. You don't just amazingly, magically become the best free throw shooter on the planet by just going and shooting one free throw. It takes practice. It takes doing it over and over and over and getting your form better, getting your release better, getting all of those things lined up so that you can do it again and again and again. You don't just magically walk out and run a marathon tomorrow. I promise you, I ain't going to do it and I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And I've, 
I've run two half marathons. I don't even, I don't have any desire, not a bone in my body wants to go run a marathon. It ain't going to happen. And I definitely couldn't do it tomorrow. It takes working and being intentional about growing in those things. But you can't expect to be where someone else is in their walk 15 years down the road tomorrow. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some time to grow in those things. And then practice it. But don't just practice it. Persevere through it. Because the Spirit led them to that place. And it may be that the Spirit is at, is at work in them, leading you to become more like Christ in some way. It won't look exactly the same. It, you, you won't practice it exactly the same. But it doesn't mean that you can't learn from others. And if you don't know how all that fits into your everyday busyness or in the calendar that you fill with your get busy button, it may be that you need to figure out how to make time to look at your life and consider what everything is worth. You may say to yourself, whoa, really? And if you find yourself in that moment where you've been investing in all sorts of things that aren't all that important, find someone who you think is pretty good at investing in, in good things or who you are willing to listen to say hard things to you. And allow the Spirit to work in you in those moments and be honest with yourself. Be honest with God and be honest with the spirit at work within you. Maybe you need to stop doing some things. Maybe you need to start doing some things. Probably both. That's my guess. But allow the spirit to work in your life, to convict you, to move you, to grow you, and persevere through the growth pains that come. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep who's guiding you, by the blood of the eternal covenant, the one that says that God will be faithful, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing.